This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Ian Lane has been a guest on this show before. His writing has even been featured for an episode of this podcast. A couple of years ago, Ian was recruited by Paul Holliker to join the San Jose Earthquakes Youth Club as a coach. And after two years with San Jose Earthquakes, he has decided to make a move to Los Gatos United. So in this episode, Ian and I discussed what he learned during his time with San Jose Earthquakes, the things that were non-negotiable when he was searching for a new coaching job, and we also discussed why he's excited about working with Sean Securis and Sean Blakeman. This episode is special to me. Ian is someone that I have coached and someone that I have also coached with, and I'm proud to see that Ian is continuing to pursue the next level. And you can follow along with Ian's journey, uh, not only by listening to this podcast, but you can connect with him on Twitter. And then you can also see videos of the teams that he has coached, both boys and girls of multiple levels. And you can read some of his work by visiting his own website, which is coachianlane.com. And I provided links to his Twitter and to his website in the write-up of this podcast that is available on 343coaching.com. And if you are an ambitious coach like Ian is, and you're looking for a powerful education program and a proven methodology, well, you should check out the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program. It is an online education program that is designed to make your life easier by reducing your trial and error time. And it is available for a fraction of the cost of other licenses and courses, and it gives you access whenever you want to log in and whenever you want to learn. Your membership will walk you through the proven 343 methodology using real training and match footage, audio lessons, and ebooks. And you will also get access to the exclusive members only forums for networking and collaborating with other 343 coaches from across the nation. David Copeland Smith, the founder of Beast Mode Soccer and a alumni of this podcast, is in his sixth year as a 343 member. And he said, and I quote, honestly, it's worth 10 times the yearly membership. You're not investing in the drills. You're investing in your education, a proven methodology, and a phenomenal community of progressive coaches, end quote. So if you want to learn more, or if you want to just go ahead and sign up and start learning today, you can do that by visiting 343coaching.com. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Ian Lane. Hello, hello. Mr. Ian Lane. What's up? What's up, dude? What's new? Oh, what's what's you know, the latest? Not, nothing much, just a new job. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, let's definitely talk about that. Um, I uh, I want to make sure I tell you not just don't don't incriminate yourself. Don't say anything that's going to get you busted by by anybody yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah. in bad waters by by saying something that shouldn't be said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about that on the way over. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Um, way over. Where, where'd you go? Where are you at? I'm at the I'm at the LG offices right now, in Los Gatos. Oh, nice. You guys got offices. 
Yeah, I guess we got a like a bunch of like stuff donated, so they they were able to outfit a lot of the office for free, and I think we got a good deal on the rent and everything. And it's kind of still a bit of a mess, but it's all coming together. They have whiteboards everywhere, and there's player counts up, and tactical stuff, and money stuff, and a calendar. It's cool. It's it's nice to have like a place to meet. And how often how often are you there? How how much time do you spend there? We've kind of been in and out a little bit the last couple of weeks. You know, if we're, if we're in here, it's probably like four, three, four hours at a time. Um, but like this this week, we're coming in every day this week. We're kind of working on logistics of teams and just putting some other stuff together um, and just working on different little projects. Like uh, Sean, Sean had me work on like player evaluations, but position specific for all the 11 v 11 teams. So I'm going to meet with him hopefully today and, go over that type of stuff. But yeah, I think honestly, I'm going to try to come in just every day. <laughs> nice. You have the key to the place or what? They, they have a little lock box. Cool. So you just put in the, the code. So it's nice. I'm the, I'm the first one here. <laughs> nice. How, uh, how often are, how often are other people showing up? Like, like, uh, when, when you're there, is, is it like a full office or is it just like maybe yourself and one other guy or what, what's it? You know, it's, it's kind of dependent and it's actually been pretty cool in, in everyone's contracts and in everyone's communication from, from – so both directors are Sean. There's Sean Seguiris and Sean Blakeman. And all their communication, all the coaches were going to have July off. No one was going to have any obligations. Um, but they've, you know, kind of put out things like, hey, we're, we're meeting today if you guys can make it. Like, obviously, since we told you, you have the month off. We're not going to, like, hold it over your head or anything. But people will show up. I mean, we'll have two or three coaches in here. We'll have – I think the other day we had, like, eight or nine of us in here just kind of all going over some stuff. So it kind of it kind of varies. But a good chunk of the coaches are either full-time or they have a flexible enough day job or side gig that they can come in at 11 a.m. or 3 p.m. or something. So – we usually get pretty good uh, numbers in here. That's cool. That's pretty rare too. I think uh, I think people that might listen to this they're gonna they're gonna be a little jealous. I know I am. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely. I would definitely be jealous from the outside looking in. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, like like uh, as far as like what's around the office? I know like in the rest of the world, usually the office is surrounded by fields. Do you guys do you guys have a field that you guys just walk out onto, or is that just in a completely different area? Not quite. So it's in, it's in downtown Los Gatos. There's some restaurants around. We're right across from the DMV, but the one of our main fields, Creekside, is you know half a mile away. You you, you could probably walk there if you wanted to, but it's a you know two or three minute drive. So it's it's basically right by our what what would be considered you know our, our home base for for training and camps and everything. So it's it's pretty well located next to a field, but not you're not going to walk right out the door on the one. Oh. That's uh, that's that's pretty good though. That's still still awesome. So, um, oh, hold on, I got to put my phone on silent. Sorry. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get into the to the update then. So, like I said, don't don't incriminate yourself. But what's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about some of the changes and some of the things that you learned over the last uh, last year or two, and and then where you're at now. So um, maybe just reintroduce yourself and and tell people where you're at now, and then we'll kind of dissect it. Yeah, so um, I'm with Los Gatos United. It's a club that's been around the Los Gatos area, the Bay Area, for you know a few years. But there's new leadership that took over. Uh, Sean Securis, who used to coach the U17 Youth National Team, he coached at Deanza Forces Academy, um, and then Sean Blakeman, he coached up. Or he was a director, I think, up in uh, Sacramento at Sac United, I believe. Um, but I'm I moved from this club uh, from the Earthquakes, the San Jose Earthquakes. 
they decided to dissolve their youth club side um, and focus strictly on their development academy teams. So it was sort of a, a natural transition. Tell, tell me about or explain the difference between youth club and development academy and how San Jose tried to uh, operate both or, or why, why those two are separate actually. Yeah, so the, the Development Academy, it's a nationwide league uh, run by U.S. Soccer uh, for, the, for the purpose of housing the, the best teams in the country, basically, the best youth, best youth teams in the country. Um, and alongside that, they had just the regular run-of-the-mill youth club. Teams would play in the Cal North League. They would play in the NorCal League from all divisions. So, you know, copper or bronze all the way up to Premier or uh, NPL. So they were basically two separate departments linked by the directors who were um, some of the academy coaches from the earthquakes. So we would share a lot of methodology with the academy. We would share some training practices. Um, and that was kind of supposed to be the, the pool for the academy to try and pull from whenever possible, uh, pull from the youth club side pull the top players from there and bring them into the uh, development academy where they'd already have, you know, a, a chance to kind of show what they could do at training or uh, have guest play opportunities with the development academy. So trying to run both of those side by side, but linking them with some shared on-field practices. Were coaches that were in the development academy also coaching in the youth academy and vice versa? Not very much. Um, there was a little bit of crossover in terms of uh, maybe like assistant coaching or, yeah, to be honest, a, a lot of us would just volunteer and go out and help at uh, the trainings or games or just come and watch a game and try and learn whatever we could. So there wasn't anything really formal or, or written down, but it was you know pretty implicit that if uh, a youth coach from the club ever wanted to come out and watch an academy training or watch a game, the the academy coaches were really good about sharing their knowledge and sharing best practices and, and all that stuff with the, with the youth coaches. But there wasn't really any formal crossover between the two other than uh, the director roles that a couple of the academy coaches held. So I'm curious, and, and I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this explicitly, but when, when a player in the youth club, so not the development academy, so a player in the youth club is showing a little bit of promise or is showing something that might be um, worthy of, of a look from the DA coaches. How, how did that work out? And, and maybe how often did that happen that a player made that jump from club to development Academy? So mostly it was a lot of communication between the coaches. Um, and I had a really good relationship with the Academy coach in my age group. So the 06 and 07s, um, Mark Christie was coaching them for a while. And then uh, Dan DeGear took over the 06 team. But yeah, it was just, you know, communication with them and letting them know, hey, this guy's been performing really well. I think he's worth a look. Um, they would invite him out to training straight away. We all used uh, Team Snap. So everyone was a, was a member on everyone else's Team Snap. So they had access to all the contact information. But yeah, you would get them out for a training or two and they'd have a chance to kind of show their stuff over more than one session, just so if there were nerves or whatever on the first day, you know, most of the kids that we were working with were pretty young. They would kind of have a chance to get over those and have another go. Um, and then from there, if they performed well at the training, they would uh, be able to take a DP uh, slot so they could basically continue to play with their with the youth club as normal, uninterrupted, 
but they would have the opportunity to guest play in a, in a limited number of DA games. I think it's something like eight or, or something like that, but they would be able to come on and, and guest play. And, um, you know, if they kept performing well, then the next time that there was an opportunity to add a player to the roster or the next time that there were tryouts or something, um, the coaches from the Academy would have a lot more background on that player versus someone that showed up randomly at tryouts that they'd never seen before and had to come out and do something, you know, pretty insane to get on the team after just one 90 minute tryout. So it kind of gave kids a chance to not just show where they are, but sort of their trajectory as well. And yeah, a lot of it was just communication with the coaches and, and giving players opportunities and training and games. So if the idea was to have this pool of youth club players to, uh, you know, eventually funnel into or funnel the best of those youth club players into the develop, development Academy, how, how was the process or what was the, what was the process like for getting players into the youth club? So obviously um, you're trying to, you know, funnel the best of the best uh, from the other leagues and other clubs that are out there into yours and then funnel the best of the best of those to the top teams under your umbrella. So what was the process like for getting the kids into the youth club? So a, a lot of it, what the, what the earthquakes were looking to do was collaborative. So working along with other clubs rather than, you know, being combative or aggressive or working against the work that other clubs were doing. So they also have a very strong partners network, uh, network. So a, a series of partner clubs where, um, you know, we look to help them develop their methodology. We look to help them develop their coaches and provide whatever information that the earthquakes could, could help provide to, to that club. And in turn, um, whenever they had really promising players, they would also send them along to the earthquakes for training, uh, for guest play opportunities and all that. So in the context of that, we wanted to make sure that we worked alongside the partner clubs to bring in players and didn't work against them. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a, a bit of a delicate balance to make sure that we were doing everything we could uh on our own to develop players without uh, harming the work that the partner clubs were doing, because, you know, a lot of our, a lot of the partner clubs were bringing a lot of players into the Academy. There's a lot of really strong clubs in the Bay area. So we wanted to make sure that it was more of a collaborative process. So there was a lot of uh, communication with a lot of our partner clubs about player movement and players that had the potential to move into the youth, uh, youth Academy into the DA uh, that were on a great trajectory at their, at their parent club. So there was a lot of communication and collaboration there. And then besides that, just regular tryouts. And, you know, we just behaved like any other youth club in terms of trying to, to bring in players. Delicate balance. I like, I like that. Um, it's kind of like what you're, what you're having to do right now by, by giving these answers, be delicately balanced. <laughs> yep. That's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> what'd you, what'd you learn over the last couple of years? How long were you at San Jose earthquake? I, I guess is, is a good question. And then, um, what uh what are some of the biggest things you learned while you were there yeah i was there pretty much exactly uh two years you know probably the biggest thing that i noticed that's different in how i approach things then and now is how i'm how i'm able to manage a team how i'm able to manage you know a group of families that's really improved a lot when i when i first came in uh the environment in the bay area culturally is a lot different than the central coast you know where where we grew up it's um, a little bit more, I don't know if I'd say cutthroat, but it's a little bit more intense, you know, professionally too, obviously being right by Silicon Valley and there's a lot of companies and parents working for, 
you know, really innovative organizations that are used to a certain standard of professionalism. So I was, I was forced to kind of step my game up in that aspect and communicate with parents more effectively, communicate with players more effectively. Everybody wanted feedback all the time on, on how they could improve and what direction the team was going and why certain things were being done a certain way. So I've really managed to improve, I think, that part of my, my coaching, getting everybody on the same page um, and just communicating with everybody and, and making sure we're all rowing the boat in the same direction. So that's probably been the biggest thing I've learned. Uh, Mark Christie at the Earthquakes was a really good mentor for me in, in that aspect. Um, all of his parents love him. All the kids would kill and die on the field for him. He does a really good job kind of building a culture around his team. So that was one of the biggest takeaways I had. And for me, that's probably one of the things that I've been able to improve the most in, in my coaching um, just managing, yeah, man, managing the team's environment. And it makes everybody's job easier. Then you have the parents supporting what you're saying at home and on the car ride home. They understand why things went a certain way, you know, whether it was positive or negative. The, the players understand what they need to be doing on their own, what they need to be doing at training, what they can do to improve, you know, what their, what their existing strengths are. You'd be, I mean, I was amazed how many kids didn't know the things that they were good at. Um, just communicating all those things to everybody more effectively. That's, that's probably been the biggest thing that I've, that I've improved. You mentioned that uh, things are a little bit more, or not a little bit more, but a lot more cutthroat than where you and I grew up, which is like the San Luis Obispo, Santa Maria, Santa Barbara area in California, um, going to San Jose or the Bay Area, and just having access to you know thousands and thousands of more players uh, is is also a pretty big deal. Um, what did, what did you learn about players, I guess, and player selection uh, compared to your time here in San Luis Obispo? And also, what about how? I'm trying to figure out the right way to ask this. Um, did did your coaching methods transfer well when you first jumped up there to San Jose and you were working with these different players or this bigger player pool or these cutthroat or in this cutthroat environment? Did did all of your methods transfer over well? And then what was it like having like this new bigger, uh, you know, pond of uh, of players to to choose from? Yeah, ha- having the bigger player pool was was massive. Um, it made it you know a lot not necessarily easier, but you you were able to find the type of player that you were looking for to fill a specific position or to fill a specific need. You know, the, the depth up here too, with the especially at the younger levels uh, that I've been working at, U10, 11, 12, 13, 14, there's good players at that level everywhere, you know, from, from all over. You can travel up and down the Bay and up and down Northern California, and there's there's a lot of high-quality players. So having the bigger player pool was was really nice when you have a pretty clear idea on how you want your team to play. Um, and if you need to go out and find players to, to fit that system or to fit a specific role, it's possible. Um, you know, as, as long as you have things to offer them, whether that's a better training environment than they're used to, um, whether it's a more professional club, that there's a more professional environment, you know, that was really helpful too. Um, a lot of it too would be kids that were having a good experience on my team and they had friends on another team or they had friends that were just playing Sunday league or something would want to come over and, and check the club out. So yeah, having the the bigger player pool, that was, it was really nice for me looking at the central coast and the teams that I worked with in like San Luis Obispo and 
there was lots of good players. There were plenty of players uh, on teams that I coached or coached against that could come up here and compete with some of the best in the Bay Area, but the depth of the pool wasn't there. You know, player one was on a massively different level to player 15 on your roster in the Central Coast just because the population's smaller and there's a lot of other factors at play. Uh, but in the Bay Area, you can put together a lot tighter of a roster. You know, numbers one through 15 will be fairly close and level. And you have players that are pushing each other every week for uh, starting spots. And you have guys that can, you know, play successfully against uh, high caliber teams in multiple positions or, you know, in, in different ways. So that's been really nice for, for me as a coach just to produce a better training environment where everyone's pushing in and uh, competing against each other. Um, what was what was the second part of the question? Did uh did your methods oh that's right, tra- methods. transfer transfer well from working with like you said a roster where you know player one and player fifteen are vastly different to now you're working with players one through fifteen that are all pretty pretty similar all 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 pretty level with each other. So did those methods transfer over to your time with San Jose? Yeah, I, w- I would say the 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 core of my training methods absolutely transferred over. Um, but it's, it's just, it was mostly little tweaks. You know, it was, I could make, if we were doing rondos, the grids could be smaller. Um, if we were doing, you know, pattern play or whatever it was, I would just have to demand a a higher level of execution or we could add in and layer in a little bit more complexity and, and whatever, you know, tactical work we were doing. But yeah, the, the bulk of the work absolutely translated. Another question that just popped in my mind was, did the work stand out in San Jose? Because the work in San Luis Obispo could be, you know, perceived as different than everything else that was available on the Central Coast. You know, we're a pretty small community, so anything that's, you know, good or above and beyond stands out. So when you go to uh, an area that's, you know, much, much, much more populated, much, much more dense when it comes to players and teams and clubs, um, did, did the work stand out? Uh, as much as it did before? Yeah, I'm probably not quite as much um, because there are a lot of other clubs and a lot of other teams and coaches that are, that are doing good work here and, you know, that have organization to their team. You know, there's clear rehearsed patterns or clear rehearsed sequences that they have um, that are, that's similar to the type of work that, that I try to do where there's 11 players that are on the same page and everyone's making their own decisions but they, they understand, you know, what play should happen next or how they should react in a certain moment. So it was, uh, there were definitely other coaches that were doing work that was on a, a similar philosophical plane to, to what I try to do with my teams. So, yeah, I guess it stood out a little bit, maybe less, but even then it's, it's still not all that common up here to see teams that, I mean, even have the basics down, teams that have a plan on goal kicks, for example. That's still, I don't know if I'd call it rare, but it's not particularly common that teams are playing out and have a couple different ways to, to beat a team that presses them high from goal kicks. Yeah. So that, that stuff still uh, few and far between it sounds like. Yeah. I would say that the teams that, that had that sort of organization would stand out. Uh, and there were a couple, you know, that I would have in my calendar for when we played a, a certain team that we would be able to prepare a little bit more specifically for because they had some level of organization. So in one sense, it made them a little bit more predictable in certain aspects, but yeah, not, not crazy common. Now let's, uh, let's transition into your transition to Los Gatos and and how that all kind of came about. So you, you hinted earlier that um, San Jose, 
decided for whatever reason to stop operations at, with the youth club and, and just focus solely on their development academy. So that kind of left you, uh, you know, not, I don't, I don't want to say scrambling, but just looking for, for your next move. And I, I want to know, or I want you to talk about the process that you went through before landing with Los Gatos. So like what, what were, what were your initial reactions to, Oh shit, like now I need to, I need to find a new home. And, and what were some of your first steps in, in trying to find that new home? Yeah. I mean, I think if, if this would have happened a year ago, for sure, two years ago, if, if I would have been in a similar situation, I would have felt, you know, a lot of anxiety. I would have been really nervous, uh, about making, making another move. And I, I probably would have been paralyzed with indecision, but you know, once the, once the news filtered down from the earthquakes, I sort of just got to work right away. Um, speaking with some members of the staff about what their plans were. Um, and then I've, I have a lot of friends that are up, up here at other clubs and, you know, they, they've seen me work and they've heard good things from the, the players and the families that I work with. So there were a couple of clubs that approached me. Um, we were all free to approach other clubs from the earthquakes as well, because they knew, you know, they weren't going to be continuing. So there was a, a lot of negotiation that took place uh, with other clubs. I met with, yeah, if, if I, I don't know if I could even count them on both hands, probably a half dozen or probably, yeah, probably about a dozen clubs or so, just little 30 minute phone call meetings or meetings over a beer or something to, to try and find somewhere that would be a, a good fit for me. Um, so I was kind of hustling on that end to make sure that I, I reached out within my network to, to find a good fit. One of the things in uh, Northern California, I think we have the densest population of clubs up here of anywhere in the country. There's a lot of big clubs, but there's a lot, a lot of small little clubs too. So there's just a lot of options, you know, within a, a relatively short commute of where I'm based out of right now in Santa Clara. So it was just reaching out to, to different clubs and, you know, thinking about the direction I wanted to take my career, think about the things that are important to me in the day-to-day -day work. Um, and then obviously I'm coaching full time up here. So I had to make sure that wherever I went next met a certain baseline level of compensation so that I could continue to coach full time. But it was just a lot of negotiation and a lot of meetings and emails and phone calls with different clubs. What are some of the things that, that were important to you during that search? You, you mentioned that you, you were looking for, you know, some, something specific, which I think is actually a luxury. A lot of coaches listening to this again are going to be jealous. Like, Oh man, like this guy kind of had options. He got to choose, um, from, from a couple like probably capable clubs. And what were, what were some of those things that, that were most important to you when you were looking for, for your next place? Yeah. For, first of all, it was, it definitely was a luxury and it wasn't something that I had on the central coast at all. And when it came down to it and I was, you know, looking to make my final decision, I was, I was picking between what I felt were all really good options. So I knew that no matter where I ended up, I, I was pretty damn sure I'd be happy with, uh, with whatever direction I ended up going. Uh, so the ma main things I was looking for long-term, I know I want to coach professionally. I, I want to try to coach in the first division in, in the U S or abroad or whatever else it would be uh, and coach professionals. So I wanted to make sure that the environment I moved to would, you know, keep me moving in that direction. You know, I'm, I'm that's not a short-term goal by any means. It's probably a decade or more out, but I want to make sure that I'm, I'm kind of inching towards that goal. So that, that was pretty important for me to feel like I was in a place where I was going to continue to, to grow. Um, another, you know, priority for me in the short term, like I mentioned, I, I had to meet a certain baseline level of compensation so I can pay the rent and buy groceries and all that. So that was pretty important um, to make sure that I could, have enough teams or have enough work or have a director role or whatever it was to make sure that I could continue 
you know, living the lifestyle of a, of a full-time coach. Um, nothing fancy, but like I said, pay the rent, uh, buy groceries. So those were kind of like my two major driving ones. And then from there, I wanted to make sure that I was working with the best players possible. So whether that was high level club or assisting with a development academy, um, whatever it could have been, that was a big priority for me. Um, and then working in a, in a good environment where I would be excited to go to training every day, you know, and I, and I definitely had that at the earthquakes. There were other coaches I enjoyed working alongside. Um, it was cool to obviously be working under a professional umbrella where you have a via stadium there. Uh, you have the academy teams are going to uh, Manchester city cup and they're going to DA playoffs and, you know, everyone's trying to produce professional players. So I wanted to make sure I was, uh, I was in an environment that I was going to be happy at, you know, every evening at training. So it wasn't really anything too, too tangible, but it was more, uh, kind of looking for a feeling. And what, what ended up being the kicker for Los Gatos? What were, what were like the top two or three things that, that, I mean, outside of like pay and, and, and things like that, I think we, I think it's safe to say you found what you wanted there, but what, what were some of the most exciting things about Los Gatos that got you to say yes? Yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, I, I had some other good meetings with clubs and I left with a good feeling and, uh, you know, everything was going to add up for me on and off the field. And I was, you know, going to be comfortable and happy with a couple situations. The main thing that stood out for me with those Gatos was my first meeting with Sean. I got goosebumps with, with Sean. Uh, There's two of them. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, Sean, Sean Seguiris. Okay. Yeah, so I got I, I got literal goosebumps from him just talking about how we wanted our teams to play, um, how we wanted our training environments to look like. You know, we just we we agreed on a lot of things and we wanted to have a similar approach in a lot of things. So that was really important for me to make sure that I wouldn't be, you know, butting heads with any superiors or butting heads with any colleagues on the way I ran training or uh, what I demanded of players or what I demanded of families or anything. Um, so to hear him talk about you know, how his team's played and how he wants the, the club to play and what he wants the club to look like and the feelings he wants to convey to the community about what values we hold at, at Los Gatos. It, it gave me literal goose, uh, goosebumps in this, uh, little Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And it reminds me too, that like the first time we went up and we met with Paul Holliker, we met at a Starbucks too, I think. Starbucks, yeah, yeah. Starbucks seems to be the place. Hey, but now, now we have the office, baby. That's funny. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Um, so w what's, uh, what's, I, I, what's on deck? You haven't, you haven't started yet. Uh, as far as like a season goes, right. You're kind of to the middle of summer right now. Um, so what's on deck and what, what are some of your first things that you're, that you're working on first projects that you're working on and what are you looking forward to? Yeah. So I'll, I'll be working with, uh, Sean on a, a video project. One thing we want to work on is like a video library of, um, I guess, you know, tactical concepts. So, Hey, when you're building out of the back from goal kicks against a uh, front two, you know, what are, what are some patterns of play you can look for or how should the players position themselves to receive the ball and play forward. So that's one of the things we'll get to work on that we haven't quite started yet. But a lot of the stuff with Oscar so far has been like a lot of admin. Um, it's been, you know, how are we going to communicate certain messages to families? The, the club's just about doubled in size over this tryout window over the summer. I'm looking at the numbers right now. Here they are right in front of me. We're going to have, well, I don't know if I should say the exact numbers. We're going to have a lot of teams. We're going to have a lot of teams um, 
but even on that front, the club was pretty selective about who they added, you know, to make sure that, that we can properly provide for, for everybody and that we weren't going to get ourselves in over our heads. But, you know, the club's been growing a lot. So what's on deck for us today is just starting to uh, hash out teams and how many teams we'll have in each age group and little details like that. Um, a project I was kind of working on over the weekend was player evaluations. So position specific player evaluations. That was one thing that all the coaches agreed on in a meeting last week, um, that individual feedback to uh, players and families was going to be very important for us. So we want to give them, uh, evaluations from us as coaches. We want them to do self evaluations. We want to make sure we meet with everybody face to face, you know, once a season, which would work out to something like twice a year for the fall season and the spring season. So that component of things is going to be very important for us. So I was working on some position-specific player evaluations uh, that we want to start using with our 11 v 11 players, the older boys and the older girls. So that was, I guess that would be my first official assignment that I had. It's exciting, man. Um, what are what are some of the areas that you're looking to grow in personally as far as, as, far as coaching goes, specifically to coaching? Because you've had a and i've told you this before like you've had like an accelerated path to where you are now you started coaching at like 18 or 19 um you were you were handed the keys to you know the head coaching positions of you know low level teams but still like you were handed the 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 keys to to teams um at, at a very young age and and you you just continue to to like you said kind of inch towards your goal of coaching professional soccer but what are what are some of the things that you think you need to focus on when it comes to coaching, like specifically to coaching? What do you need to improve? How are you going to improve? Um, and what are some of your goals for on the field stuff? Yeah, I, th- I think the main thing for me is I, I want to improve just the, the clarity of my ideas in my own head and my clarity in communicating them to players. You know, it's been something that I've worked on a lot. I know when I, when I first started out and I was reading zonal marking articles and, you know, the spiel verlager on articles and just crazy stuff online. Right. And people are using these big words. And, uh, I had all these ideas in my head about how I was going to have my team play on the, on the weekends. And if you can't communicate it to your players, you don't really know what you're talking about. So I've worked pretty hard over the last couple of years to really clarify a lot of that stuff and communicate, communicate things, simply but not oversimplifying um so that's been something i've I've been trying to work pretty hard at um to be honest what i really got out of my meetings with sean is that he's more knowledgeable than i am he's better at working with people than i am um you know he's he conducts himself very professionally off the field in terms of um organization in terms of uh, you know getting things done on time that was one thing that really stood out to me about him so if I'm honest, I need to improve a, a lot in, in all areas. Um, probably the main thing I, I'm really looking forward to improving with Sean is, um, yeah, I mean, you know, clarifying everything, tightening everything up 20, 30, 40%, um, and getting more out of myself and getting more out of my training sessions that will benefit the players in terms of their, their individual skills. I think one of the things, one of the weaknesses I told Sean that I have is, um, even working with younger players, I'm probably focusing too much on team concepts and I need to not lose sight of those, but get the players, you know, more touches in training, get the players more focused individual work and more focused individual feedback. So I think I need to do a better job improving the individual players 
always in the context of the team though. Yeah, one one thing that I remember about you is that you used to keep like these like composition books or these notebooks. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. when you when you talk about like clarifying your ideas, I don't even know how you understood what you what you wrote down because those things would just used to be such a mess. But the advantage that you're going to have is that you if you've kept those, I don't know if you have. I'm assuming you have. Um, yep. Is that you have all that stuff and that that each time that you revisit that or or each time that you write that that idea down again, it should get like more and more and more simple so you know if you have those journals from six seven years ago when you first started you know what took you four pages to write then should probably only take four sentences now or something something equivalent and i remember i don't remember but just just recently i was reading an article about richard Feynman and how he was like with one of the few physicists that uh, was able to talk about physics like he was talking about addition and subtraction and, and you know that was what made him such a spectacular um, instructor and such as, you know, just uh, overall just good physicists is that he was able to communicate very complex ideas to, uh, you know, very just ordinary, simple people, I guess is one way to put it. I don't know too much about him. I'm probably speaking out of turn, but, um, but that's, uh, that's definitely something to improve on. And, and it's something that I've seen you improve on just from a distance. Uh, over the course of what seven years that you've been coaching now six or seven years uh how old are you now i can't i can't even remember <laughs> yeah going going on 27 so i think what what's today it's the seventh eighth yep. yep yeah so yeah next week nice next week i'll be 27 yeah so that's like almost eight years coaching then yeah yeah probably probably something like that huh yeah so yeah, over the over that eight years, and 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 again, like so, when you say eight, when I when I say eight years out loud, some people are thinking like, oh, well, that's not that much, and then you think like, oh, he's only twenty seven, so it's like you've been coaching pretty much all your adult life. Yeah, which is crazy. So that's a that's an accelerated path for sure. Um, man, I don't know, I don't know what else uh, what else I can ask you about all this uh, Los Gatos San Jose earthquakes transition stuff. Um, so I guess, uh, I kind of want to ask you like my, like my famous, my famous question, what do, uh, what do people need to know? Because you've been through quite an experience with, um, moving or starting out here on the central coast, a very small area club soccer is not anything remarkable here. You know, a couple, a couple of teams make state cup runs and, and whatnot. A couple of players move on like, like Julian Araujo to LA galaxy, but as far as anything consistent, it's there's nothing really happening on the Central Coast. You moved to San Jose. Uh, you're a, a little fish in a big pond. Um, you're with a you're with a big MLS club, but on the youth club side of it. And then uh, now now you're kind of bouncing to a new smaller organization uh, with more kind of sounds like it's going to be an even better fit for you, even though it's not in the MLS network of of things here in the united states but what do you uh what do you think of when you think about all that experience and 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 if somebody asked you what do people need to know what what have you learned over that time what do what do you think people need to know about all the stuff that you've experienced you know i i i'll i'll look back at where i was like eight or nine years ago coaching at rigetti and going to cal poly at the same time and stuff and i guess the biggest like takeaway that i have that that sticks in my mind is um, if you, if you find something you like to do, it's really easy to work hard at it 
it's really easy to not be rewarded financially or, you know, with status, or whatever. Uh, it's really easy to kind of grind away at something you really enjoy doing. And I feel pretty lucky that, like I said, I mean, when I was moving clubs this summer, I had multiple good options. Like that felt, that felt pretty remarkable for me. I, I still feel lucky every day that when I pay my grocery bill or when I go to pay the rent, like that money comes from coaching and it's something that I enjoy doing every day. And it's something that I look forward to doing. I look forward to getting to the office at Los Gatos to go over spreadsheets and stuff like I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to work on that stuff. I was excited to go to meetings at Avaya with the earthquakes and, you know, talk about what players could potentially guest play up with the academy. So it was it was easy to to kind of grind away at that. Even when I was in San Luis Obispo and I was, you know, a, a, a failing student, pretty pretty much literally, uh, and <laughs> commuting to to Santa Maria to to coach the the Rigetti girls, like that felt like a blessing. That felt really lucky. So for me, that's kind of been the the biggest takeaway is it's it's been easy to get to a to a relatively comfortable spot for me where i'm at now uh working hard and and grinding away at things and doing things without recognition so if you if you find something like that in your life whether it's to do with soccer or not i think that's something really special that that everyone should try to look for whether that's as a as a side gig to their regular job that that they need to hold down to pay the bills or you know whether that's pursuing something kind of crazy right out of high school or you know, right out of college or whatever it is, I think kind of grinding away at something you really enjoy, it, it's really rewarding no matter what, you know, if it's, if it's something you truly enjoy. So that, that's been my biggest, I guess, takeaway from, from my journey is like when I, when I look back, not that everything felt easy, but it felt, I guess, comfortable. I don't know. It, it felt like it was the right thing for me to do, even as, you know, some of the people I went to school with passed me by financially or passed me by professionally. I always knew that I was going to be really happy doing what I was doing. So that's probably my biggest takeaway. I think just find something you enjoy to do and work really hard at it. And everything works out in the end, I guess. I, I really like that you mentioned doing it for no recognition or, or being comfortable with, with not having recognition. And it kind of is in line with how you've always been. You've never been like the rah, rah type of person as a player or as a coach. And, uh, and you're 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 definitely not looking for like that raw raw type of uh, type of thing as a as a, just a human being. I don't think so. Yeah, having having that mentality of just you know head down, do the work, and that and if if that's what's going to make you happy, then then you know just do it and don't don't be in it for for the recognition because if you're just in it for the recognition, or if you're in it for the status, uh, you're in for a very uh, rude awakening when you get into the so youth, especially youth soccer world but yeah uh, the, the american soccer world because it's you know there's going to be a lot of things that are going to make you scratch your head so <laughs> um ian where where can people connect with you and where can people uh, see some of your ideas uh, i don't know if, if los gatos has any you know public facing content that you guys put out um and if you do where can they find that yeah, so uh, we're actually pretty big at Los Garros on the, the social media side of things. We have uh, two really great people that put together a lot of content for us, uh, Eden and Phil Gibson. So uh, our Facebook page is, is pretty cool. Um, and if I'm honest, I went to the, the NorCal Coaching Symposium over the last weekend, and I went to a presentation by a you know, very well-known European club, and I was looking at the videos they were putting in their presentation of their youth training and you know, it had music in the background and cool edits and all that. And 
you know, the videos that we have at, at Los Gatos United, they're literally on par with the ones that uh, a top-level European team is is uh, strutting around with. So I think that's a, a pretty cool thing that we have that not a lot of other clubs, you know, take the time to do, to, to reach out to families and parents and, and show our work. So I would check out the Los Gatos United Facebook page. Um, for me personally, I'm on Twitter at Coach Ian Lane. Um, I have a website, coachianlane.com. I'm hoping to get back into that a little bit more now too. Um, at the earthquakes, you know, because we were under the MLS umbrella, they were a little bit restrictive on the type of content we could put out, which, you know, it's the same as it would be at any other big corporation. Um, so, um, I'm hoping to get into that a little bit more and see if I can display some of my work from Los Gatos, you know, whether it's off the field stuff like the player evaluations or, um, other work we'll be doing like that to try and benefit the players and families. Um, and I'm definitely hoping to get some more video out of my teams and in, in training and games too. So I guess keep an eye on, uh, on my website. All right, man. It was, uh, good getting the download from you and, uh, look forward to just continuing watching you, watching you climb, watching your journey, dude. I'm excited for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited too, man. And just kind of to get back to that, you know, quote unquote, accelerated passing, uh, three four three has been a huge part of that for me too i, I, I want to make sure I, I plug them plug you guys a little bit you know um with uh, the coaching course the coaching uh videos that brian has up on the on the website a lot of my core activities a lot of the framework for how i want my teams to play and how i get them to play that play that way absolutely came from from three four three and without gary and brian I don't, I don't think i i don't think i'd have a career in coaching to be honest and you know without the without the the platform and the responsibility that you gave me too at at rigetti um you know i would i wouldn't be here without you either for sure i'd probably still uh i don't know maybe i'd still be uh, doing a van wilder at cal poly and trying to <laughs> <laughs> finish up a degree or something so i want to make sure i say thank you to you and and thank you to the Clivens. no dude it's the the work is your own man you've like you said you've put your head down you've you fucking grinded uh, like like nobody else, dude. I, I, I can't imagine um, very many people doing what you've done and doing the, you know, chasing chasing the jobs that you've chased and doing the work that you've done with the, with the jobs that you've had because it sounds kind of like, in a way, it sounds like we've kind of glorified some of your stuff. Um, and I don't want people to think like you've had like these badass jobs or anything like that. I don't want people to think that you've had, you know, just... The, the worst jobs, but, um, you've, you've definitely, uh, you've definitely grinded and there's a lot to be said about that. So you should definitely, uh, you need, you need to, you need to take credit for a lot of the work you've done. So yeah, that's that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks man. I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So your, I saw your videos in Yosemite the other day, your ballerina, uh, <laughs> stuff. So it looks, oh, looks like, looks like you guys are happy. So that's good. Yeah, man. Everything's good. Everything's good. That's good, man. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'll catch up with you again about some other stuff soon. Uh, I got to get going because I got to go to yoga. All right. <laughs> where, do you, where do you do yoga at? Uh, one of the girls that bartends at the bar down the street from my house, she she does like yoga for some of the staff members there. So I just show up. It's at the park that's right by the beach oh, by perfect. my house. So, yep. Yep. Yoga on the beach, man. When did you turn into such a hippie? Yeah, um, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm trying to find my happiness, I guess. <laughs> All right, man. I'll catch up with you soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Later. See ya.
right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.